my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at the Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I, I'm looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, I'm Delmar Bowden. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, Latin, midwife, and instructor Duma. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Can you give us just a little bit of an introduction, your name, sure. where you're located, and then tell me a little bit about you and, and maybe your why? Sure. So my name is Sunny Daly, and I have the unique situation of being the only student midwife and only doula on an island of Nantucket, which is 30 miles off of the coast of Massachusetts. So it's a very rural, very secluded place to live. Um, but I absolutely love it because the community here is very close knit. And that's a big reason why I continue to study midwifery even in the face of being very remote and detached from my community of other providers and healers and resources and education. Yeah. Um, so how did I get here <laughs> is a long and winding story, but essentially I knew I wanted to be a midwife from the time I had my first baby at home, which is now 23 years ago. Um, it was such an empowering and embodying experience for me that brought everything that I was interested in together. Um, and, you know, when you're the mom, you're the vessel for all of that. And that was really um, just an awe inspiring event that I kind of found myself saying, why don't other people know <laughs> that this is as incredible and transformation transformative um, as it is. And so I had said to my midwife, okay, I want to be a midwife. And she said, you need to be a mom first. And that was really hard to hear because I felt like it took the wind out of my sails at that moment. But honestly, it was the best advice because now that I'm so far down the road, I understand that there's a lot of sacrifice in midwifery and it often comes at the expense of your family. And really she was giving me a gift to say, don't miss those early years with your kids and establishing yourself as a mom before you go on and help others. So I'm really grateful for that 
uh, advice. And I, I try to say it to other, you know, young people that are getting involved in midwifery, but I feel like it's kind of hard until you go through it to really understand that there, there's just a lot of choices that have to be made when you choose to pursue midwifery. Yeah, I can, yeah, I attest to that as a mom of preteens, um, that there are a lot of sacrifices, right? Like I can't tell you how many birthdays I've had to miss or Christmases that I was on eggshells or, um, you know, things like that. But I think that that also applies to any like mother figure in the workforce too. True. True. You know, so like it's, yes, don't get me wrong. Midwifery, late nights, being on call, being gone for days, but also, you know, like if you've got a corporate mo- woman or a corporate mother, she's gone too. And she's prioritizing her career. It's interesting what a world we live that. in. I, it's interesting to hear you say that because I always felt when I was younger that I was choosing midwifery because there was a certain freedom to it and an ability to sort of step out of that um, dichotomy of having to choose between career and family. And I felt like midwifery brought those pieces together. And it was only in going through the training and being on call and being, you, you know, central to a lot of other people's lives that I realized oh shoot, this isn't, you know, sort of the rose colored vision I had initially imagined. I thought I was going to be like hanging out with my family by day and working in my garden in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I'll be called to a birth and then I'll be back before they get home from school and I'll be all full of energy. Oh no, my kids didn't go to school. They were homeschooled on top of it. So yeah, there, there was a lot of juggling and I don't know why, probably because I was young and um, idealistic. I thought I could just do it all. Um, but yeah, I've missed a lot. And I actually just had a client call me, um, who's due right around the time I'm taking my youngest off to college and I'm in this like push and pull and I'm going to have to say no. And I really am kind of finding myself like, why is this so hard to say no? I mean, I, I need to be there for my child. This is like the last, but I really feel conflicted and it's, it's an interesting place to be. Yeah, Again. No, I think that <laughs> so many people resonate, so many birth workers resonate with that um, for sure. So I, I know that I can for sure. So how long have you been in school? Which school are you going to? And um, why did you choose that school? Or so I'm in, Yeah, I'm in the National College of Midwifery. Uh, I chose that school because obviously I live on an island. So actually going someplace for school was not an option. As I had mentioned, I already had my two children, so I couldn't just up and leave and move. Um, We were dependent on my husband's income for a long time. And now I have a job that I can do in conjunction with midwifery. I run a um, family planning clinic and the WIC office and a teen parenting program. So it all works together. And it took a long time to get to that place. Um, but it just never, I never had the ability to just throw it all at midwifery and, you know, make everybody else sacrifice for it any more than I already have. <laughs> right. So it's so. taken a little bit longer than maybe like yeah. the standard three-year totally. you know, thing. Totally. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted, um, to, I wanted to go to school because I had heard that the PEP process was phasing out. And, you know, as we had sort of mentioned, there's like so much that you learn from having preceptors, 
but I wasn't in a place where I had a preceptor that I could really do all of my studying under. Um, so I just felt like going to school was central to filling the education component that I needed to feel confident as a midwife. Um, and like I said, the national why you chose like the meek school versus the pet process. Exactly. Um, with your, so how long have you been in the (laughs) national college of midwifery? I think I'm going on my sixth year. Um, and hopefully but you're in the last phases, like that's <laughs> it, right? Yes. It's a numbers game as we all know. Um, and living on an Island, we just don't have a birth rate that is astronomical. So it takes longer to get those numbers. With the preceptor that you're with, have you always been with that single preceptor or did no. you leave the Island to go and I bounce between preceptors birth? because for a number of reasons. Um, I, the woman that used to live on Nantucket and was a midwife who I thought I was going to be able to do all of my education under moved about nine months into my (laughs) enrollment into school. And I was like, uh, shoot. So that, I mean, I totally get it. You have to do what you have to do, but it kind of threw me a curveball. So then I started looking for other midwives who I could work, um, as a primary student underneath. And what I have come to find is there's, first of all, nobody that's close. And second, you have to really want to come to Nantucket to attend a birth because like I said, we're 30 miles offshore. So in a best case scenario, it's a one hour boat ride. In a worst case scenario, it's me hiring a private plane and being flown over here in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Do you live on the island? I do. So if someone was in labor on the island, you would like be more readily available for them than the person who doesn't live off the island. So your right. preceptor doesn't live off, live on the island. So she Correct. flies in or yes. takes a boat in. Yep. And how many midwives are willing to do that? I have blessed their hearts. Two of them that have been faithful for a couple of years. I have a third that jumped in very last minute at the last birth because my other two preceptors were at birth. Um, as you know, COVID has made a lot of people look for home birth and, uh, these midwives that I've been working with for years are now like at their wits end. Cause they have so many clients of their own that understandably it's oh, much what a horrible to problem here. to have. <laughs> it's really frustrating for me <laughs> because I can't, yeah, you know, no, I, I can't you. get a preceptor that, I mean, you know, like, like you said, what a great problem to have, but a stinky one when you're a student and you're like, but I need a preceptor. <laughs> right. And your continuity of care births. Those are done. So those are done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about where you are in your midwifery journey. How much longer do you have? How much are under your belt? What do you have to finish? I have eight births <laughs> under supervision <laughs> to go. Um, and maybe seven, if I can get the last one to count. Um, And I have my well woman to do, but my preceptor for that actually lives on island uh, and is a nurse practitioner at the family clinic, family planning clinic that I work. So the well woman component to me, that's what I do like full time as a job is counseling on STIs and pregnancy prevention. Right. So, and Pat, like that part I feel is so easy. It's the eight bursts that are outstanding that I'm like, let's just do this. And, and all of my academic work is done. 
So what's the population on the island? And of that, what's the demographic that are birthing people? Great question. So we have 10,000 year round. Uh, We go up to 100,000 in the summer because we're an island destination. Uh, right, but no average... one's like going to move up there to have a baby, right? Oh, uh, well, COVID made it pretty interesting. So wow. yeah, our birth rate is about 125 a year, you know, and if you do 10% of that for home birth, you know, it's a handful. Um, but as you know, with the meat game, you can't count transfers and sometimes you have to transfer, which unfortunately in my last year has been three of them. <laughs> so you do have a hospital on Island too. Yeah. We do. yeah. Okay. And they're really wonderful. They're like the hospital you would want to transfer to because they're warm and loving and it's just a great handoff. Yeah. Um, but you know, then you're like, okay, there goes nine months of that. <laughs> so yeah, there's eight bursts between me and sitting for mine arm. Wow. Yeah. Do you transfer in with your clients as like doula or what does that look like? Have you ever decided to do that? Yeah, that's what I, that's my preference. Um, COVID there was a restriction at our local hospital that they didn't allow an additional person in. So I had to transfer, um, one family during that restriction that I actually, they like, let me come in and get established and spend a couple of hours. And then they were like, you gotta go. And that was a bummer. Um, and then the other two, I was able to kind of scoot in because it was right at the tail end of the restriction. And they were like, well, and then the last one I had been fully vaccinated for, and they were like, well, so that's preferable to me is to go and, you know, see it all the way through and have that continuity with clients, especially when they're not anticipating, you know, a hospital birth. So yeah, Yeah. there's just that one that I'm like, well. So my normal question is like, how do you choose your preceptor? But it sounds like whoever's available, <laughs> please. Yes. Um, so uh, that has to be really, really challenging. And uh, do are are most of the time when you reach out to these to these midwives and you're like, hey, there's someone that's looking for care. Also, I'm a student. Are you willing to sign my paperwork? Are they all like overly, overwhelmingly happy to do so? No. Um, And the reason I say no is because of the logistics. It's really hard to get here. Right. So So, it's not like because we don't want to be a student preceptor or because we don't want to deal with the NERM paperwork. It's like, "Mm, I don't have to take the boat ride or the private plane to get there because I have a practice off on, you know, mainland. So no, that's more along. Okay. Yep. Yep. And you know, I haven't, to be fair, I haven't asked every midwife that's on the, you know, sort of geographical area that, um, might be easiest to get here for a number of reasons. One is because, um, I want to practice in a way, especially on an Island community. I feel like I need to kind of be Um, really transparent, really like um, communicative with my skills. And, you know, if I need additional medical care, I want it to be really above board. Like I don't want there to be surprises. And I know that not every midwife is comfortable being super transparent or they have ways of doing things that they've done forever and it works for them. But for me, it wouldn't be a match. So um, I I guess I would classify myself as maybe a conservative midwife um, simply because I know the resources I have at hand. And I know that it's a very um, limited 
rural community. So I, I can't do things like VBACs and twins. Like it's just, it's irresponsible, you know? So we don't okay. have licensure. Um, and there's been a big conversation about that for a number of years. Um, and there's a very strong push towards licensure. And at the same time, there's a really strong push away from it um, because midwives are busy and they don't want to be told, understandably, you can't do, you know, all of these things you've been doing for years. Um, you know, like I said before, I'm probably more conservative because I don't have the ability, like my hospital can't receive a VBAC transfer. They don't even do VBACs on the island because we don't have enough blood on hand in case it went south. So I feel that I can't in good conscience take on a VBAC client because I know that if I had to transfer, my facility wouldn't be able to handle it. You know what I mean? I know that that's rare. And I know that that's like, you know, not a concern for a lot of midwives, but I, again, I need to know what the limitations are here. And I just don't feel comfortable, you know, in that position yet. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause some people would look at that and say, I'm low resource. So we just know that if we ever transferred, it's going to be C-section, but we're going to attempt all VBACs, right? Yeah. Versus I'm low resource. And they're not going to welcome you as a VBAC candidate and help you continue laboring if you needed augmentation, et cetera. So let's not even try. So these women that want to VBAC, do they leave the island? They do. They do. Um, and that's like the internal struggle with me is because when I got Absolutely. into- I'm watching you and I'm just thinking like, I know what you're, I get that. Like I hear you. I can feel you yeah, struggling with that. It sucks. It sucks yeah. because- when I came into midwifery, I came into it because I was like, I want to learn how to deliver reach babies at home safely and do VBACs at home safely and give these women that don't have a chance because of the medical model to birth physiologically. And here I am stuck in this catch 22 of not being able to allow that, allow, quote unquote, allow that for women um, because I'm the medical model that I turn to for assistance doesn't have the ability to support it. And that it really sucks. I just quite, I'm not, I, like I said, I'm conservative. I'm not at the point where I feel brass enough to say, okay, I can manage these risks. And, and these we know have been in transfer, it's going to be C-section, but at least we gave you the option, but you're also just finishing midwifery school, right? Like, let me yes. talk to you in 20 years. Right. Exactly. And that's the part that I is really um, tricky. Like there was there was a question you had asked about like what do you like what was a great birth experience that taught you something? And I feel like every day I'm learning something, and some of it is a big old piece of humble pie. <laughs> and I think that I just need to be really cognizant of that because, in this kind of plays back to the preceptors that I work with, a lot of them know their stuff backwards and forwards, and they're great midwives. I am not there yet. And I need to be clear with myself that that's them. And this is me. And if I'm the primary and I need to make decisions and I'm on my own until honestly, somebody gets here on a plane, which could be as the woman is crowning, then I need to make the conservative decisions that are in the best care of this woman and her situation with me as the primary midwife. And, you know, sometimes that's going to be conservative. Yeah. Can you, do you see yourself kind of shifting away from that as 
as time goes by, experience goes by, or, you know, um, waiting for the hospital to catch up? Like, what do you think is going to be the differentiating factor where you're like, oh, I'm going to practice how I always wanted? That's a great question. I think it's going to be me and experience and time. You know, I think a hospital, it, it's unrealistic to think that the hospital can make a big move. Um, even though we are a rural hospital, we are tied to a bigger hospital. And the, we all know that hospital policies are what they are. Um, and they have a lot less freedom to navigate through individual situations. I just don't have the experience at this point to feel confident in making a decision that would step so far outside that medical model that if, like I said, if I needed assistance, I could get it, <laughs> you know? Do you feel like if you had a transfer from birth, like let's just say a breach feedback, we'll go mm -hmm. wild. Let's throw it um, all in there. But, right, let's throw like everything in there um, <laughs> that the hospital would like try to persecute for you transferring in such a risk. Yeah, that's the situation I don't wanna find myself in for sure. Um, I think, you know, when I be, when I went through this path, I also became an EMT. And a big reason that I became an EMT is I wanted to be able to understand what their capacity was. And I wanted them to understand what my capacity was, again, to open those lines of communication. Um, I just feel that in a scenario where, you know, it's life and death, or it's, you know, a split second decision. I don't want it to be your questioning my ability and my training and my judgment or vice versa, me questioning your ability or judgment. Like that doesn't serve families at all. So again, I, I, I feel like as I gain more experience, I will gain more confidence. I'll be willing to take more on. But right now, I just think that it would open myself to liability to do that. And I don't think it's smart. I don't think it's smart midwifery. You know, you got to know your limits. Yeah. Thanks for being an always amazing vessel and symbol of midwifery. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so have you had any really, really positive experiences with preceptors and really, really negative experiences with preceptors yeah, that you totally. would like to share kind of a learning from that? I think the biggest difference between a great preceptor and a terrible preceptor is communication. So I think we've all been to those births where somebody has said, oh, you're not ready. Oh, you're not ready. Oh, you're not ready. But hasn't done the other side, which is to teach you the things that you're not ready. Um, because it's, it's totally fair to say you're not ready. But how about- Why would that be a thing? <laughs> we fill these things in. So I remember really clearly, I had this midwife um, I was working with and I told her, you know, I really don't know how much pressure to apply to the um, cord to help this mom birth the placenta. I'm really scared I'm gonna tear it. And so, you know, she was really great and not like just yank on it, you know, which I've heard that sometimes. And, you know, I've just heard people or seen people roll their eyes at that. And so she really respected that. And we kind of had this back and forth conversation about, you know, what are you feeling right now? What are you seeing? You know, follow the cord up. Do you feel where it forced and you can feel where it touches the placenta? Like she talked me through the whole thing, which is so much like the way EMTs practice is you talk everything through. So I feel that a great preceptor can talk you through things in a way that doesn't make you feel demoralized or put down and certainly doesn't show your hand to the family that you're working with. 
um, but also shows their strength in being a teacher by saying, okay, first you do this and then you do that and then you do the next thing, but it feels like camaraderie and, and teamwork and not like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I feel that that's really the difference between a good preceptor and a bad preceptor. Um, and you know, I, I have a hard time even with the bad preceptor part because I think everybody does what they're comfortable doing. Um, and that looks wildly different from one person to the next. And I, I know that especially um, older midwives that I have worked with, they put up with a lot of craft to get where they were. And they're not super, um, or at least my experience has been a lot of them have not been like turning around to extend the hand to the next generation. It's kind of like, you have to go through that tough, you know, figure it out phase yourself. Um, like not we really you. have hazing in midwifery. Yeah, we I really legit not, have I'm hazing. I'm not down with it at all. I get it. I understand it, but it really sucks. Um, you know, and that was a big surprise for me too. Cause I was like, oh, midwives are all going to be like super righteous women. They're going to be like sisters. They're all going to help each other out. And it was a lot of like, oh shit, this is like the mean girl crew. So, you know, I just learned to keep my mouth shut and my head down and just steer myself away from that as much as I could. Um, but it meant that I had to go through some, some stuff that I was like, well, that felt yucky. So I just, I keep finding myself going towards those midwives that are teachers. What do you feel like the worst thing a preceptor's ever said to you is? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot for stuff, but like, just... you know what, I, you know what, I don't think it was ever anything that they said. I think it was what they didn't say. You know, it was like the constant holding you back, holding, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. Do this again, do that again, do it. And it just became like busy work, do it again instead of, hey, let's go through this together. <laughs> Let me teach you, which I always found weird because if we're working as a student and a midwife, wouldn't it be beneficial to have your student, you know- Do it right. Do it right and be really confident in what she's doing so she could really be an assistant to you and not just, you know, the scribe or the one that's cleaning up after everything. Like, come on, you know? Or what about <laughs> the birthing person? Like, are yeah. they suffering because you're deciding to withhold information from me? It's interesting because there's one client that I have remained really friendly with um, where I was the student and it was under um, a preceptor that just was kind of old school in the way that she did things. And she kept, she always says to me, the best part of my birth was you. And I think, oh, that's so sad because this midwife missed an opportunity to really give this woman a great experience. And she gave adequate medical care, but missed the connection with the family. And it's, I always feel sad for the midwife that she misses out on that. And, you know, almost guilty that I got that because all I had to do was be a decent human, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually a human being to this person. You know, back with like the hazing thing and like being a decent human being, um, I often feel that in midwifery lineage, we're like breaking generational trauma. You know, it's like when you meet with birthing people that had trauma as a child and their mother had trauma as a child and their mother had trauma as a child and their mother had trauma as a child. And you're like, guess what? It's all on your shoulders, sweetie. Like, I'm so sorry that you have to be this person here, but it's you that's going to break this for your daughter. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
I feel that I, after some of these interviews and speaking with midwives, student midwives recently, that this era of midwifery students are feeling that burden of mm -hmm. no more, mm -hmm. no more. It ends would, with me. I would love I break that it. to be the way it goes down. I, you know, well, you know it will. You're going to have a student someday. Someday. I, it's interesting because I keep looking to um, midwives of color. And I feel like there has been that moment very clearly, very recently, where they are claiming it with no apology. And I just kind of fall at their feet and I'm like, teach me your ways, because I understand they have had trauma after trauma after trauma and are still experiencing trauma. But as midwives and as birth workers, I feel like they are rising up in a way that I'm like, teach me your ways. <laughs> and of course I can't. Because... They're like connecting with their ancestors and taking it back. Right. Right. And it would be insensitive of me to be like, teach me your ways. Like I need to find my own. And I get that. Um, but I would like to see that lineage of trauma stop for all of us. Cause it's, it doesn't help anyone. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. Do you plan to practice on Nantucket? Do you plan, plan to like be that midwife that doesn't have to be flown in or be put on the boat in order to be there? I think so. I mean, that's the plan for now. I have no intention of leaving. I mean, life is funny, but it's where I live. So here I am. And once your little chickies leave the nest, it's just you. Do you have a partner with you and has, have they been with you for this entire journey? Yep. I have known my husband since I was 19 years old. We have been together forever. He is the reason I am still pursuing this. If he, if I, he didn't have my back, this would not work at all. So I can't, I can't thank him enough for never questioning me and just pushing me in this direction. Um, so yeah, I just, I have to figure out once my kids are gone, sort of what my new life looks like with him and try to not do the same thing I did with my kids when they got older, which was just work all the time. Um, because I realized that too is a trap and filled with trauma. <laughs> so I have to figure out how to balance, you know, all the things that I need to do and be present for my partner and be available for my kids. Cause I would like to go see them, even though they don't right. live under my and roof. They're leaving, are they going to stay in Massachusetts area or are they all is, around the country? Uh, my son is here for at least next year. And then my daughter lives in Philadelphia. So just far enough away that it's really hard to get there. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Like she's like, I planned that. <laughs> I think she initially did and then was like, huh, maybe I like my parents. So oh, so I cool. Know. Yeah, she's an awesome. So woman. do you have a birth story of either preferably like something that applies to either um kind of like fetal heart tones, something like, wow, I wish I had known, or I learned this or meconium or charting or breech birth or marketing this new business you're coming into or a suturing situation or working with a doula where like you guys, some, some, just some similarities there. Do you have a birth story that you'd like to share that maybe could impart some wisdom on another student? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I was thinking about this and I found it very hard to find one birth story. And I mean, this is probably why we all stay in midwifery is every single experience you learn something new where you're like, oh, hmm, I thought I knew everything. Turns or you out, unlearn. 
or you unlearn. Yes, right. good point. Good point. Um, I, I would say the part that I, there's a couple of parts I wrestle with, um, but I will say the biggest wrestling part for me as an up and coming midwife is the business end of the equation. How do we make this work in a sustainable way that is going to attract the clients that will benefit from midwifery care, which I mean, it's, it's everybody, but <laughs> you know, obviously it's not a choice that everybody will make, um, but how can we make it accessible to them without it being a complete drain on me and my family? And how can I quote unquote market that, which I feel really conflicted about on an island because I can't post like off to a birth because it's an island. So everybody knows who it is, you know? Oh, and, right. Yeah. Of so I can't do that. I can't post pictures um, after the birth unless, I mean, obviously, unless the family gives you permission, but I feel really awkward even asking, you know, because again, it's a really small community. Um, I feel, I really empathize for the families that want a home birth and then they end up transferring. So I have this like mindfulness about not over posting because then it feels negative for families that don't get the birth that they had anticipated. Um, I am also a doula. So I do support families that birth in the hospital. So it's like, I haven't really figured out how do I promote this in a way that feels accepting to folks, no matter what they choose, but in a way that's also um, honest about the benefits of midwifery and the type of care that you receive in your own home, on your own time frame, with your family around, because it is so different than the type of care you receive elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really healing for families when they can access that. Do you feel like in, especially on your air, on your island, is there still an opportunity for education of what midwifery is and how totally. midwifery practices even now? Yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's confusing for some people that I'm a doula and a midwife because they don't even understand the difference between the two. Um, so I had a family come late to care and they started asking me first about doula work. And then they called me like a week later and they said, well, what about midwifery? And then they like at the, another week went by and they said, okay, we want to hire you as a doula, but can you bring your um, blow up birth pool to the hospital? And I was like, no, that's for home births. Like I can't bring, I can't bring a pool to the hospital. Like they're not going to let me do that. You know what I mean? Like you can't have a water birth with your doula. Can you imagine? Like, um, yes, I, can. So I brought our birth tub. Uh, we have an AMA, so yeah. we're going to sign that. And yeah. no, <laughs> no. yeah. So I think there's like a whole confusion around that. I think, um, People are surprised when they know that midwif that midwives carry, you know, different types of medication for after a birth, that we know how to suture, you know, they think it's cool that I'm an EMT, but they don't understand the overlap. Like, I don't think they yeah, understand how, yeah, how in-depth midwifery care really is. It's not just bite on a stick and push out a baby, you know, and I think a lot of people think it is. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so have you, as a, as a student midwife with a midwife, had doulas at your birth and kind of like seen how does that really how's that relationship been for you I'm saying that because um 
I also am also a doula and I've been doula for years and tended hundreds of births as a doula. And I'm noticing some like weird power struggle between Uh like the student and the doula sometimes. And I'm just wondering, like, why do we think that is if you're the doula and you were at a birth with a student and and a midwife, or if you're the student midwife and there's a doula there, let's just be honest here. Do you feel like there's a little bit of a, like, like power struggle? You know, I haven't really, I haven't really run into that. And I think it's because, uh, there's a couple of reasons why I think at Nantucket, I am the only doula, so I haven't run into it here, but when I worked, um, I worked out in Utah at a really high volume birth center. Um, and it was really clear, like doulas, do the emotional physical support midwives do the medical charting mom and baby wellness and it was like a really clear distinction which i find myself being the only midwife being the only doula on the island struggling with because i don't have that parsing of roles and i find myself as a student midwife being what i would like to be as a midwife which is very supportive and informative and you know doing a lot of the hands on care Um, but when you have those two distinct roles, I see them kind of separating where the doulas do more of the intense, emotional, physical support and the midwives hang back and just make sure mom and baby are good, um, and then facilitate the delivery. Um, so it's, it's been a, an interesting sort of, you know, taking these two different views and kind of smashing them together and into what I am. It really sounds like you need to start like a doula collective on your island <laughs> yes. and get these like people to, to become do doulas. I want to <laughs> to support you as the midwife on the island. Like, I mean, there's a whole business model here. I know you I can do this. Out. I haven't figured out how to do it because I would like to. I, it would I mean, be... that sounds great, right? Like yeah. doulas go in early labor. They'll let you know when contraction patterns are really going great. Baby's in a great position. You go in and, you know, like, yeah. It would be amazing. Really you, yeah. that sounds like um, something that, and, and as a doula, you could definitely facilitate that. And then your relationship as an EMT and your connection with the hospital. I mean, the world is kind of your oyster, Sunny. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I just have to cultivate the next generation, you know, which I think a lot of them, since I've been in school, it's been six years. So the women that I've worked with in that timeframe, you know, they had to be moms first. So I'm hoping that I won't be like (laughs) blind and stooped over by the time they want to come back to this work. Cause there are several women that I think would be really great at it. They're just, you know, wrapped up with young kids right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So any specific birth story you want to share with us tonight? Um, probably the last one that I went to simply because it was really refreshing to have a straightforward, beautiful first time mom home birth, <laughs> because I feel like, um, especially love those prime home births, you know, those prime they work their butts off, you know, not to say that others don't, but I feel like it's just charting the unknown and it's so, it can be so scary navigating. And this woman in particular um, is in school to be a nurse practitioner. So she has like all of this head knowledge about all of this medical stuff and then is willing and able to kind of leave that mantle at the door and go totally primal. (laughs) 
and her husband was just a saint he was so lovely like they were just it was like everything you would want out of a birth where they worked really great as a team she had me come over in early labor and was like is this is this labor like this is it really happening? And I was like, yeah, you're, you're really in labor. This is just early labor. And she's like, okay. And it had been, you know, 12 hours. So I was worried she was going to be feeling upset that it was early labor. Um, and she was like, can you check my cervix? And I was like, yeah, but let's talk a little bit about what we're going to do with that information. You know, because I think we all would love to hear that we're at nine centimeters and we're just cruising through it. But most of the time, it's like super easy. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I'm like, I wish I could give that to you. But we talked a little bit about what, what were we doing with that information? Um, and what if it's not what you anticipate? And she heard that really well and voiced that she just needed the information to kind of make her next plan in her own head about what to do. So we did the cervical exam. She was three centimeters, you know, and I was like, it's happening, but it could be a while. Totally normal. Leave. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Normal. I'm going to leave. And I was like, I could feel myself walking out the door. Like, Oh, I hope this didn't crush her. And maybe, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours later, her husband texts me and he's like, well, ever since that cervical exam, things seem to be ramping up. And I was like, Oh, that's great. You know? And he, he kind of screenshotted the labor pattern. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I think I'll have something to eat. See if you guys can eat and then maybe lay down. And so they did text me an hour later and he's like, we're not laying down. She's getting really vocal. And I was like, cool. And so I called, this happened to be the birth where none of my preceptors were available. They were all at birth. So all day long, I had been like, how, how am I going to do this? So I get a phone call from a midwife who's like, hey, I hear you're looking for an assist. Um, here's my deal. I'm totally into it. What do you think? And I was like, okay, let's do it. Bless her heart. She gets so on this a midwife has had no prenatal care with this client, right? Like she was a willing to just straight up take an hour boat ride and come assist. This oh, no, party. she took a plane at night. Drove to a place she'd never been. She was telling the story to her son who was 15 and his, and the 15 year old says, so let me get this straight, mom. You are driving to an airfield. You're going to walk onto a plane with somebody you don't know. You're going to fly in the middle of the night to an island to a woman you've never met before and go to a birth. And she was like, yeah, it sounds crazy when you say it like that. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't let me do that. And I was like, ah, out of the mouths of babes. And she did. And she strolled in. I mean, it honestly sounds like the most badass, like secret agent story you've ever heard of. Right. Like actually <laughs> what like that sounds daily like. birth experience for me. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so she strolled in cool as a cucumber. And, you know, I, I go to the house. They're clearly in active labor. She's cooking right along. I'm texting my husband. Like you got to pick the midwife up at the airport. He's like, okay, what does she look like? What's her name? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm having the side conversation and I'm like, breathe, you're doing great, you know, and <laughs> the plane is landing. My husband's going to pick her up and she's like, I feel like I have to push. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I'm texting. I'm like, so you may want to hurry. She's pushing. And, uh, you know, I, I also said, oh, and P.S., when you get here and you walk in the front door, she's literally five feet to your left. So you're walking like right into the labor. <laughs> you know, cause it's a very small, like, so prepare package. yourself. It's not yeah. like, ah, da, 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 da. it's like, bam, yeah. Vagina. Like, throw your, yeah, <laughs> throw your gloves on. We're going to catch a baby. 
Um, so yeah, she, she walks in the door and she was just lovely. She was dressed in this like long black flowing skirt. She was super calm, cool and collected. Went over and washed her hands and was like, hi, I'm the midwife. And I was like, hi, I'm the student midwife. And like the whole thing just fell in beautifully. I mean, the woman took a little bit longer to push a baby out, but she was just lovely. Like the whole thing was beautiful. And after the baby had been born, the mom said, like opened her eyes and was like, oh, I didn't even realize the second midwife made it here. And I was like, oh, really? She's like, were you both talking to me? And we were like, yeah, we both, you know, we're saying, and she's like, I didn't even realize. And I said, oh, and I ch kind of chuckled. And I said, oh, and I just met her. <laughs> and the mom was like, really? I thought you guys like have always worked together. It was effortless. Yeah, you and me both, right? We just met all three of us. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. But the whole experience wow. was just and so lovely. It was lovely. So do you, you feel, did she give you like, so that was a primary and you caught quote unquote, right. Yeah. And, um, did so she send your paperwork for that birth? And no, then are you going to maybe call her too? She's not a registered preceptor with my school. So I have to see if I can go back and get her registered oh. and have her sign. And if not, then I'm still stuck at eight births. That's why you said seven, eight. Yep. Yep. I mean, she's a preceptor for another Meek accredited school. So yeah, right. but it's the hoop jumping that screws me. That screws Maybe me. Maybe you can backdate that. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. You know, and that is something that's coming up really often is like the, the, the politics, the minutia, the, like the little things that really do not in any way, shape or form, um, reflect an honest, truthful, educated midwifery experience. Um, hmm, that sounds beautiful. And so sucky at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where you're like, Oh, it's great. And it doesn't count. And I know it's not about numbers, but I need the freaking numbers. Like, come on. It's totally about numbers. Absolutely. Uh, oh my goodness. And so then you're serving them for all postpartum care on your island yes. because you're there. Yeah. Great. And I, I feel like I could do prenatal care, postpartum care in my sleep. Like I'm super confident in that. I just need another brain there when we're talking about like this woman had a compound presentation had the cord wrapped around the neck, the shoulders, the belly, the baby took a minute to come to. Maybe we were going to suture. We opted not to, but like, those are the things that I want, you know, another midwife there for as a student, like that's the stuff right. you, you know, you want the brain there for and the hands and the experience. Um, but do you feel like eight more births later, let's say you get eight more births and you're, you know, done with your NARM births and then you finish your prenatals and if you're etc., and you sit for the norm and you are CPM and will you still maybe call a primary sometimes? Yeah. And yeah, you think so? Totally. Yeah. I think just because I can hang a shingle and say, I'm a CPM doesn't mean that I know everything there is to know. And like I said, I'm pretty conservative because I feel like that's good midwifery, midwifery care. So in that there's a duality in that I also know the reality is that I can't always get another midwife here and I am a midwife. So mm -hmm. I need to be confident in that, but I also feel like it best practice is to have a second midwife there in every scenario that it's humanly possible. Nice.
Yeah. Um, what advice would you give either someone thinking about becoming a midwife <laughs> or someone in midwifery school now, or someone at your phase, like right at the end, they need their last births, like that you, you know, what do you want to send out to them? Um, first I want to send out a whole lot of support because I think that's what it takes to embark on this journey. And I think no matter where you are in the phase of midwifery, whether you're thinking about it, you're in the process, you're close to being done, you're a new midwife. I think we all have those crisis moments where it's like, what have I gotten myself into? And the only thing, not the only thing, but one of the things that I feel great solace in is seeing those posts on like, you know, student midwifery pages or hearing from other midwives like me too. And then the midwives that are like, keep going. Like there's a reason you're doing this. And I really feel strongly that midwifery needs to be alive and viable and needs to be an option for birthing people because it is so um, superior to the care that people are receiving in a very industrialized, move it on, you know, next kind of, <laughs> kind of experience that is the only other option we have. Um, yeah. So there's a total like me too movement in obstetrics, right? Oh, wow. And that doesn't exist in midwifery care for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great. So how, if you're willing, how can people find you, follow you, support you or donate towards your education? So I am all over social media. I have an Instagram page. It's called Nantucket Birth Keeper. I'm on Facebook. It's Sunny Daily. Um, and then it says uh, care for the childbearing year. And then I have a webpage, Sunny Daily ACK, which are airport call letters <laughs> dot com. Um, so yeah, check me out. And if you want to donate, there is a GoFundMe link on my website. I would totally appreciate that. Um, if you don't see it, you can always Venmo me. It's my name, Sunny Dash Daily. So Sunny every day. And then I'm a redhead. So my picture's there and you'll see me. Perfect. I know that we're always looking for like new ways to financially support this journey. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I think that that's really, really important for Anyone that took some solace or inspiration from your words today, $2, $5, $1,000, it goes towards your skills, it goes, it goes towards your tools or your education. So uh, I know that I really appreciate your time today. Augustine appreciates your time and Midwifery Wisdom Collective Worldwide Midwifery really appreciates your words for future and current student midwives. Um, I can't wait to follow you and watch this journey unfold. And if I am ever up there, I promise you, I'm going to come over to Nantucket and like help out whatever you need. Let's catch some babies. Yes. That sounds great. (laughs) That sounds great. Thank you for your time and your interest. Yeah, Thank I really you. appreciate it. Rock on, keep going. We'll talk more for sure as life progresses. And I hope you have an awesome evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.